0: Years. Whatever your political allegiances or personal preferences, I'm sure we can all spare a thought for the loser, John Kerry, and how he must be feeling. For the last two years, his life has been totally consumed by his ambition to be the next president of the world's greatest and most powerful nation. Huge crowds have followed him wherever he's gone. And people, especially the media, have hung upon every word that he's spoken and taken it and analysed it. But now it's all over. Despite the fact that 48% of the electorate, over 55 million people, voted for him, there can only be one winner. And judging by the experience of previous failed presidential candidates, John Kerry will probably disappear into relative obscurity though he still remains a senator what might have been did not and almost certainly will not ever come to pass and in our studies on Sunday mornings in Mark's Gospel which we've called following Jesus we have as it were accompanied Jesus and his twelve chosen disciples On a three year campaign But it is one that is very different From any human enterprise or election As we saw from the manifesto that Jesus announced Right at the beginning of his public ministry The time has come he said The kingdom of God is near Repent and believe the good news And huge crowds of people have followed Jesus As he has made his way around the nation of Israel drawn by his compelling teaching, attracted by his amazing miracles. But now, three years on, the crowds have begun to dwindle. The opposition is rising. Plots to kill Jesus have crystallised. And one of his chosen twelve disciples has agreed to betray his Lord and Master for thirty pieces of silver and when Jesus is unexpectedly arrested late at night in a garden the other eleven disciples left flee and desert him only one follows at a distance as Jesus is led away and he is about to deny his master and then we will see Jesus truly alone now let's read together the next instalment these very moving events in Mark 14:53 to 72 as I always say it will help to have a Bible just get one, someone to pass one to you if you can't see one if for no other reason to make sure that what I'm saying ties in with what is written what is written is far more important than what I say about it infinitely more important page 1021 They took Jesus to the high priest and all the chief priests, elders and teachers of the law came together Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest There he sat with the guards and warmed himself at the fire The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death but they could not find any Many testified falsely against him but their statements did not agree Then some stood up and gave this false testimony against him We heard him say I will destroy this man-made temple And in three days we'll build another not made by man Yet even then Their testimony did not agree Then the high priest stood up before them and asked Jesus Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent and gave no answer Again the high priest asked him are you the Christ the son of the blessed one I am said Jesus and you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven the high priest tore his clothes why do we need any more witnesses he asked you've heard the blasphemy what do you think they all condemned him as worthy of death then some began to spit at him they blindfolded him struck him with their fists and said prophesy prophesy And the guards took him and beat him. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. And he went out into the entrance. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, This fellow is one of them again he denied it after a little while those standing near said to Peter surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them I don't know this man you are talking about immediately the cock crowed the second time then Peter remembered the word that Jesus had spoken to him before the cock crows twice you will disown me three times and he broke down and wept this is God's word let's pray together Lord again as we read these accounts we stand as it were in those events that happened all those years ago we identify with those mentioned sadly more often with Peter than with our Lord help us as we hear your word Move our hearts, change our minds, bend our wills, we pray. In Jesus' name, for your glory. Amen. Now before we come to the Lord's table, notice simply and startling you can work this out for yourself without being a preacher, a theologian, or anything else, the contrasting aspects that we see in these two verses the contrast between the courage of Jesus and the cowardice of Peter courage of Jesus cowardice Peter let's look at each in turn and examine our own hearts and minds first of all the courage of Jesus Jesus taken we read to the high priest most people assume that means the high priest's house which was in Jerusalem like most houses of the day and in many parts still of the world it was a building with a central open courtyard with an entrance to it and the buildings around it the high priest at that time was a man named Caiaphas as with all the high priests he had been appointed by the Romans and the very fact that he stayed in place for 19 years from AD 18 to 36 suggests that he was a pretty shrewd political operator and all that we read that follows reinforces that viewpoint. Caiaphas and the rest of the religious establishment describe you'll see in verse 30, 53 as the other chief priests, elders and teachers of the law have long decided that Jesus must die. He's a threat to their authority, a dangerous religious heretic who could disturb the public order and bring the wrath of the Roman army down on their heads. They've long since dismissed, even if they ever entertained, any thought that Jesus might actually be their chosen Messiah. And so a meeting of the Sanhedrin is called. The Sanhedrin was the Jewish ruling council made up of 71 men from the chief priests and leading people from the establishment and society. They operated by permission of the Romans and they only had jurisdiction in matters of Jewish religious law. Uh, The first interrogation of Jesus that we read here is highly irregular, many people believe illegal. However, it's really a preliminary investigation in order to find some hard evidence against Jesus which will warrant his execution there's some uncertainty as to whether they actually had the power to execute people. Whatever is the case, their intention is to bring Jesus before Pilate, the Roman governor, and get him to pass sentence. This will not only absolve them of direct responsibility for the death of Jesus, a man still popular with the people, but it will also determine the kind of death he will die. The Jews executed heretics by stoning the Romans executed everybody by crucifixion, unless you were a Roman citizen, of course. Then you got your head chopped off. The Jewish people wanted the leaders wanted this to happen because they knew, or thought they knew, this would exclude any thought of Jesus being the Messiah. For the Law of Moses said, "Cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree." Deuteronomy twenty-one, twenty-three. So, in this initial inquiry, they are looking for evidence. Verse fifty-five against Jesus so that they could put him to death and in what follows notice two things about the response of Jesus first of all we see the silence of Jesus Uh, presumably the Jewish authorities have been gathering evidence to use against Jesus for some time no doubt the betrayer Judas Iscariot has provided them with some more ammunition and if you read carefully the main accusation that they bring against Jesus concerns claims that the witnesses say they heard Jesus make about the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, of course. We heard him say, verse 58, I will destroy this man-made temple and in three days we'll build another not made by man. Now, most likely, what they're referring to is an incident recorded in John's Gospel. Early in the Gospel of John, there were two occasions Jesus cleared out the temple of many changes and in the first occasion recorded in John 2 Jesus threw them out and he said get out of here how dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace not surprisingly the Jewish authorities asked him what authority do you have to do that what miraculous sign can you show us to prove your authority to do this and Jesus answered John 2.19 destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days not surprisingly, they misunderstand what he's saying. They say, "Listen, it took 46 years for Herod the Great to build his temple. And you're going to raise it in three days." But of course, Jesus was not talking about the literal temple. What he really meant, John tells us in John 2:21, but the temple he'd spoken of was his body. And it appears that this kind of confusion and lack of understanding still remains, and the witnesses can't agree. However, before we move on, notice there's something strikingly prophetic about the words that are spoken here. You see, they're about to destroy this temple, the temple of the body of Jesus. And after three days, he will rise again with a new resurrection body. And the result will be that the man-made temple, the temple in Jerusalem, and all that went with it will be made obsolete. We'll come to it in a few weeks, God willing that when Jesus died with a loud cry he breathed his last and Mark records in Mark 15, 37 to 38 the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom if you're not familiar with the temple it had three different courts and the most inner court where only the high priest could go once a year with blood on the day of atonement had a huge heavy curtain that separated anyone else going in it separated as it were symbolically sinners from a holy God and when Jesus died on the cross something remarkable happened It was torn from top to bottom symbolically saying the door to heaven is open to sinners through the death of Jesus I I presume they repaired this curtain and although the actual temple was not destroyed for another 40 years It was no longer necessary. Access to God was now made possible through Jesus. And no wonder the centurion, when he saw Jesus die, said, Surely this man was the Son of God, and is. However, neither the religious authorities, nor the false witnesses understand this. They can't even agree on their statements. The law of Moses said, If you bring an accusation requiring a death penalty, you must have two witnesses who agree. Find that in Numbers 35, 30, and Deuteronomy 17, 6. And they can't even get two witnesses of stories tally. So, not surprisingly, Jesus has nothing to answer. He says nothing. But also, as we see Jesus here, we see again and again, as we've seen before, the echoes of the words of the prophets. Especially Isaiah 53, speaking of the suffering servant. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is silent so he did not open his mouth he remained silent the high priest who's running the show is amazed and angry he stands up and he says are you not going to answer what is this testimony that these men are bringing against you verse 61 but Jesus remained silent and gave no answer and the frustration the exasperation of the high priest finally explodes as he asked Jesus a direct question verse 61 are you the Christ the son of the blessed one the word the blessed one is a way of saying God without saying the word God because pious Jews wouldn't say the name of God he's saying are you the Christ the son of God the Messiah and now at last Jesus speaks and notice what he says is quite remarkable after the silence of Jesus look at the statement of Jesus I am, verse 62 says Jesus, and you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, in the opening sentence of Mark's Gospel, Mark says it's a Gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But throughout the Gospel, if you've been in this series, you will have seen that Jesus rarely ever acknowledges this title for fear of confusion. And also because he knows he must come to the cross this way and he doesn't want to be diverted. But now there is no danger of this. In fact, his claim seems utterly ridiculous and impossible. So he finally says in response to the direct question of the high priest, I am. The words I am echo the, name, the special name of God that was given to the people of Israel through Moses in Exodus 3. What name shall I say, says Moses, and the Lord says, I am who I am. And that is not all, he's not only the Son of God, he is also the Son of Man. Jesus uses this term that again we've seen before, echoing the words of Daniel 7 and Psalm 110. A psalm about the enthronement of Jesus. He is the exalted king, he is the one who will come to judge all men and women. And Jesus says, you will see this. Now again, if you'd been there, you'd have thought this was utterly ridiculous. A man they regard as a peasant teacher, untrained from the north of Israel, uncouth Galilee, standing here on trial for his life, making these amazing claims. When Jesus says, you will see, it doesn't mean, as some critics have said, that Jesus expected to return in the lifetime of the high priest and those gathered there. No, he's talking about the fact that everyone will see The last book of the Bible says In its opening chapter, Revelation 1 verse 7 Look, he is coming with the clouds And every eye will see him Even those who pierced him And all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him So shall it be Amen Now, before we move on Just note this is an astounding claim of Jesus There are people, you may be among them Who say, well, I think Jesus was a remarkable moral teacher a wonderful teacher about God's truth if you believe that if your friends believe that get them to actually read what Jesus said these are incredible words you will see me coming on the clouds of heaven with the angels and I'm going to judge the whole world if he is who he claims to be then it is not he but the high priest of Sanhedrin who were on trial not Jesus it is they who were guilty of blasphemy not Jesus either Jesus is who he claims to be or he is a madman or he is an imposter and that claim still stands today I don't know who you think Jesus is but read what he actually says and you're left in no doubt you cannot gither around saying he was a great moral teacher the high priest is in absolutely no doubt when he hears these words he cannot see he will not see the verdict against Jesus what does he do well he shows a symbolic sign of consternation I won't demonstrate it in the pulpit he tears his clothes he was not wearing his high priest robes by the way at this time in actual fact you discover something new every week I was reading up on this and apparently the Romans kept them away locked away in a cupboard somewhere and they only gave gave them to him on special religious occasions he tore his own clothes as a sign of deep distress as far as he is concerned Jesus is guilty of blasphemy why do we need any more witnesses you've heard the blasphemy verse 63 and the charge of blasphemy is not just because Jesus claims to be the Messiah that was not a capital offence all sorts of people claim those kind of things it's because he claimed to be equal with God to be the son of God and so Caraphas calls for a verdict and it's clear and unanimous he is deserving of death verse 64 they all condemned him as worthy of death and the token verdict is passed And what follows, we begin to see, the humiliation of Jesus as they resort to physical violence. Look at verse 65. These are terrible words, aren't they? You don't need a film to imagine them. They began to spit at him. How offended Bertie Volkes was when he claimed that some people in Scotland had spit at him because he was the Scotland manager. Even today it's regarded as a terrible, defensive thing. And they spit at him they blindfolded him they struck him with the fist and said prophesy they believed if you're a prophet you had second sight you could tell who was it who struck you and the gods took him and beat him and all this will follow in the hours that lie ahead the suffering of Christ and when he hangs on the cross those who pass by hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days come down from the cross and save yourself Now, the courage of Jesus is remarkable because there's something special. And it's this. At any moment, at any moment, Jesus could have saved himself and destroyed them with a word. He could have called 10,000 angels at any moment. You imagine in that position. Yet, as we saw in our last study, the battle has been won in the Garden of Gethsemane. He has accepted the cup that the Father has given him and he must drink it to its very dregs now if that doesn't fill us with gratitude and thanksgiving then nothing else will and I doubt whether you're a real Christian you can read this and not be moved by it oh we become blotting he died for our sins amazing son of God spittable beaten, cursed for us for you. For me, amazing love. Of course the story is also meant to be an example for us. For those who today suffer for the name of Christ. Those who've been beaten, even as we sit here in Charlotte Chapel and Comfort, we're spit upon, cursed, tortured killed for the name of Christ listen to 1 Peter 2 verses 21 to 23 to this you were called because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example you should follow in his steps when they hurled their insults at him he did not retaliate when he suffered he made no threats instead he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly now probably most of us are not going to be spit and cursed but we'll be humiliated and laughed at well you're not one of those evangelical Christians who got George Bush back into power in America are you? those right wing fundamentalist idiots are you a follower of Jesus? prepared to stand up and be counted? now isn't it remarkable that these words were written by Peter because Peter wrote them and yet he failed to follow in the footsteps of his master so notice secondly the contrast, the cowardice of Peter now as we'll see in a moment there's no doubt that Peter was a coward in this situation but I don't think he intended to be when he set out after all he and probably one other disciple John tells us followed along behind and what, notice what he does he goes right into the courtyard of the high priest now if you read the gospel accounts carefully the guy who slashed off the ear of the high priest's servant was Peter (laughs) he's the one who did it Jesus healed him, a man called Malchus and now Peter goes right into the courtyard of the high priest I don't know what he's planning to do did he have some kind of what we call James Bond stunt or idea that he was going to rescue his master do something like that If that's the case, then his pride comes before a fall. And what a terrible fall it is. There's a fire in the open courtyard. It's cold in the evenings in Palestine at this time of year. Peter goes next to the fire and begins to warm his hands on the fire. And maybe it's the flickering firelight that illuminates his face. It's a, it's a, it's a moving picture. You can see it in your mind's eye, can't you? And a servant girl walking past. You may well have been, John tells us, the girl who was on duty at the door. Looks at him closely and she says, aren't you one of them? who was with that Nazarene. It's a term of contempt, that Nazarene. Aren't you one of them who's with that Nazarene, Jesus? You also are with him? Now, most people comment on the fact that Peter's courage failed in the face of a mere serving girl. Can I say to the men in the congregation, I think you will understand that most of us men would probably... Succumb more to a servant girl than a Roman soldier, because it's a kind of humiliating thing, isn't it, to be pointed out by a, a girl? be caught off guard. Maybe Peter's expecting a soldier to stand up, and he would have he would have gone for him, you know. But this servant girl says, you know, in front of you know, you you're one of them, aren't you? And he denies it. I don't know or understand what you're talking about. He said he went out into the entrance, verse 68. So far the situation is not too threatening. So Peter moves away to the courtyard. The courtyard had an entrance, a sort of archway, and Peter stood in the archway, maybe in the shadows, thinking, I'm going to get out of here. I need to leave. I'm in danger. But the servant girl won't let go and she turns to those standing there and she says, that guy over there, that fellow there, he's one of them. And again, Peter denies it. I'm not, he says. And then those standing near the other gospel accounts tell us that people started to, when Peter spoke, they recognised his northern accent. Where he came from. Most of you know I'm from the north of England or Midlands of England. I've got a northern accent. And people tend to think if you're from the north, you're not very bright. Well, Peter, they said, you're one of them. You're one of those Galileans, aren't you? Surely you're one of them and this time Peter vehemently denies any knowledge of Jesus he began to call down curses on himself and he swore to them I don't know this man you're talking about in actual fact the the translation is a bit misleading there it literally says he began to call down curses the translators have added on himself many people think he may have even called down curses on the name of Jesus which makes it even worse does it not he denies any knowledge of the person with whom he has lived, walked and talked for three years, the one who healed his mother-in-law, the one who rescued him from drowning on the Sea of Galilee, the one he saw on the mountain transfigured before his presence with Moses and Elijah, the one he saw do those amazing miracles, the one he heard teach the Sermon on the Mount, he says, I don't know him. And he calls down curses. in his gospel Luke records after the third denial the Lord turned and looked at Peter presumably he was up the top somewhere and he turned and looked at Peter directly Mark simply records the cock crowed a second time and it triggers in people's Peter's memory the words of Jesus that he'd spoken a few hours previously Peter remembers what Jesus had predicted I tell you the truth Jesus answered today yes tonight before the cock crows twice you yourself will disown me three times and no doubt Peter remembered what he'd said in response that Peter insisted emphatically even if I have to die with you I'll never disown you and leaving the scene the other gospel tells us the words are literally he fell down and he wept Bitterly. he has failed his Lord and Master three times he failed he couldn't stay awake in the Garden of Gethsemane he didn't watch him pray lest he entered into temptation and now three times he has denied his Master and once again this story has the ring of truth even the most cynical critic would not believe that the church would invent and write a story about its main leader and paint him in such, a, in such damning terms how you feel when you read it you identify with Peter can you imagine yourself ever saying maybe tomorrow will work that you're not a Christian you don't know Jesus if you're quick to say never I'd never do that just remember Peter None of us should be too quick to say I would never do such a thing. Like Peter, or indeed any of those involved in the events. In the NI's New International Version application commentary on Mark, David Garland comments and I think very helpful words. He says this When we read this account, we must see how easily we can become a crafty high priest, a devious Judas, a lying false witness, a cowardly Peter a wishy-washy governor a mindless member of the hateful crowd a coarse soldier and an absent disciple hidden for fear then we realise it is we who are on trial before Jesus and not vice versa now we're nearly finished conclusion Jesus is left alone to face his final hours and another excellent commentary Larry Hurtado lectures at New College has written finally with this incident the reader is left with Jesus alone, the disciples having fled, and their spokesman Peter having failed miserably in the coming events of his sufferings. Jesus is alone to do the will of God, and the message is thereby presented that the salvation obtained through Jesus' work was obtained by him alone and aided by any human instrument. Notice the final contrast between Peter and Jesus. The courage of Jesus means that he goes to his death in contrast the cowardice of Peter means that he escapes with his life but that is not the end of the story the true story Peter may well have escaped with his life but he faces a fate worse than death a prospect like that of Judas who goes out and hangs himself but there is hope for Peter because the death of Jesus is not the end of the story the death of Jesus leads to life You see, John Kerry may well vanish into obscurity. His campaign failed. But in his seeming defeat, death on a cross, humiliation, Jesus is raised to life, exalted to the place of highest authority, at God's right hand, just as he said, raised to life, exalted. And now through Jesus, and through Jesus there is hope. Hope for all. There is hope for a Peter who denied his master. There is hope for you in the pew and for me if we've failed our Lord, even this week. There is forgiveness for all who come to him through Jesus. You may be sitting there and saying, I identify only too well with Peter. I'm a failure. If you only knew what I've done this week, it's so despicable, I would just be totally ashamed if anyone knew the kind of life that I'm living. Oh, I put on a front coming to church, but you don't really know what the true situation in my life is. No, I don't and I don't need to know, but I tell you this, God knows and there is hope for you, through the death of Jesus, Peter says to us, "Even if you failed and cursed your Lord and Master and denied him, there is restoration, there is hope." Yet I tell you this: if we to find hope, we have to travel the same way that Peter traveled. I concluded a final quote from another commentary, Sinclair Ferguson recently at St. George's Tron in Glasgow. It's what he says. We often associate the strength and power of Simon Peter's ministry with the resurrection or Pentecost. He was a witness to Christ. He was filled with the Spirit, preached with boldness. All this is true. But here Mark takes us into the foundations of Peter's spiritual leadership. Listen to the words. He was emptied first of all that he might be filled. He was broken down that he might be made strong. He wept that he might know the joy of true forgiveness your experience will not be the same as his. But God has not discarded that pattern for moulding men and women into the Christians he wants them to be, has he? You see, the way of restoration is a painful way. Sometimes it involves tears, literally. It involves being broken. It involves our pride being shattered but it's the way of Christ it's the way of the cross it's the way of repentance it's the way of new life and the table before us as we share together in a moment is a symbol of all that a thanksgiving for the courage that Jesus showed but also symbolic of the cowardice of Peter and the fact that we can be restored as we come around this table so let's hold on to that as we share around the Lord's table we're going to sing a hymn as we do that then Colin Adams our student and youth worker is going to lead us but don't lose the grasp of what God has been saying to us this morning last week we sang a new hymn that most of us didn't know about Christopher Idle, and we're going to sing another one now again very appropriate to our theme it's on the purple sheets if you've got copies of that uh, but it's on the screen as well and look at the words of the opening verse he stood before the court on trial instead of us he met its power to hurt condemned to face the cross our king accused of treachery our God abused for blasphemy and verse 4 says shall we be judged and tried in Christ our trial is done we live for he has died our condemnation gone in Christ are we both dead and raised alive and free his name is be praised. Beautiful words. Let's stand and sing together as we come around the Lord's table.